Thank you so much for that encouragement. The references whisper at best when it comes to the resurrection and the Old Testament. There are passages that allude to the resurrection, but they're not predominant. We get one out of Daniel chapter 12 and verse 2, where it says this, "...multitudes who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake, some to everlasting life and others to shame and everlasting contempt." Isaiah chapter 26 and verse 19, it says, The dead will live and bodies will rise. In Psalm chapter 16 and verse 10, it talks about this. It talks about, You will not abandon me to the grave, nor will you let your Holy One see decay. And what we understand about that is, is that Peter on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, he's going to redefine that. He's going to say, I want to let you know, that's not talking about David. David's buried right over there, but this is talking about our resurrected Lord. Faint whispers is all we get. And I begin to think about, well, how in the Old Testament did they, they did, how did they comfort each other in the moments and times when somebody died? How did they, how did they deal with that? And I came up with this phrase, and you see it repeated over and over and over again in Scripture. It says, so-and-so died, and they were gathered to their people. So-and-so died, and he was gathered to his people. So-and-so died, and she was gathered to his people. And I guess that was the comfort that they needed in order to help them during those moments in times of death. Have you ever thought about this? Have you ever thought what it would be like to be raised, to grow up your entire life and not have the resurrection as an anchor to your soul. And I begin to think about that and particularly to those who lived during the Old, Old Testament period of time. To really not have that as a firm concept of their makeup and who they are. And, and it began to hit me how, how horrible that would be. And, and I think that's what happens when Jesus comes onto the scene and he begins to talk about the resurrection story. And every time Jesus talks about the resurrection story in the Gospels, there is always this confusion and there's always this resistance to the story. I think about most of the time when he's talking about this, there's always questions with it. Jesus, I know you're talking about this, but I'm not real sure what you're meaning about it. And when the disciples, when this power is displayed in, in him raising the widow of son, Nain's son and raising Jairus' daughter and then his friend Lazarus, I don't even think the apostles even get what's going on at that moment in time. I don't even think they're aware of really what's happening in the upper room at the beginning of Acts chapter 1. I know they're gathered there. I know they've experienced the... Uh, Jesus' resurrection, but I don't really think they know what's happening. And in fact, I, I think every time Jesus talks about this approach to the cross, and as he talks, begins to talk about how in, in plainer terms he begins to explain it, he gets this rebuke by Peter. He goes, Lord, this is never going to happen to you. And Jesus says, I want to let you know something. You get behind me, Satan. You do not have... God's will in mind. And again, the upper room, and again, I don't think they're getting it, and I don't think they're getting it until the day of Pentecost, the genesis of the beginning of the New Testament church. 
I don't think they get it until the big bang of Acts chapter 2. And all of a sudden what we see there is we see Jesus' ascension to heaven. And in Acts chapter 2 we see all the Holy Spirit being poured out on humanity. And at, I think at that moment in time they begin to understand the ramifications of the resurrection. If you look at the rest of the New Testament, you see them... You see them over and over and over again sort of trying to work out this new resurrection, this resurrection from the dead. And sometimes the writers of the New Testament will go in and they'll clear up the confusion. You think about 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And what once started out as a whisper and then was questioned in the Gospels. Today as it's been talked about in Jeff's communion talk, is an exclamation point. As the world gathers today and celebrates the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And so as I approach this, this theme, this topic, and I, as I thought about this day, the day of the resurrection, I wanted to do it a little bit different. Usually, most of the times, a lot of times what you hear on, on Resurrection Sunday or Easter, what you hear is you run to all these different passages in the New Testament. And that's a right study. That's a good study. But what I wanted to do today is I wanted to follow the New Testament believers, the New Testament Christians, as they trace their way through the book of Acts. And what I wanted to do was glean from them as they walk through this new resurrection what lessons, what, what principles can we apply? And so that's what I want to do today. I want to do that, but I want to start with this. Monty talked a lot about last week the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit, the new spirit, is a predominant theme in the book of Acts. Many times what they call it is not the Acts of the Apostles, but really the Acts of the Holy Spirit. That's how it's designated sometime in the book of Acts. But I want to let you know this. While it's important to us to understand the role the Holy Spirit played, I want you to understand none of that would have happened without the new resurrection. None of that would have happened. The Holy Spirit would not have come down on humanity if it wasn't for the new resurrection. It's the resurrection, the, the new resurrection that is the foundation of the work of the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts. But I had to start back here is this. What's so new about the new resurrection. There's something different. There's something different than what happened in the Gospels to what's happening in the book of Acts. And I started here with this. During the ministry of Jesus, Jesus raised, and I've mentioned this already, three people from the dead. The widow of Nain's son, Jairus's daughter, and his friend Lazarus. And here's what hit me about this. Why just three? Why three? I mean, people, people were, I mean, they, they were dying just like they die today, right? Why just three? What, what was it about these three? And I began to understand, here's the reason why Jesus raised just three. He raised just three because he wanted to prove that he had the power to give life to a dead body. He wanted to prove that he could give life to a dead body, but that was not the new resurrection. And we need to understand that. 
Jesus has the power to give life to a dead body, but it is not the new resurrection. The new resurrection is something completely different. And then what hit me was Acts chapter 1. Go to Acts chapter 1, get your Bibles out, look at Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1 gives us the clues and the key to the new resurrection. In fact, it defines it. And it defines it in the most unlikely way. I, I gotta let you know, I've read Acts 1 once or twice before. And it's like we talked about in class today, Eric, you know, it's like, I've read this before, but I've never seen this. And this is one of those, I've never seen this before, but it just, it gives us clues. It gives us clues and defines what the new resurrection is. And, and oftentimes, I have honestly dismissed this. Look at verse 10 and 11. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white, uh, white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, here it is, don't miss it here. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. And there it is. And you're going, I didn't see it either. Well, it took me a while, but listen to this. It's there. It defines the new resurrection. It's this very subtle but significant shift. And the subtle but significant shift goes something like this. The new resurrection goes from the physical to the spiritual. And the new resurrection goes from just the temporary to the eternal. And so let me define the new resurrection as they began to understand this through the book of Acts. It means this. The new resurrection means that we are going to be bound to a body someday that is not bound to physical limitations. Isn't that good news? Especially as I age, it's good news. And we're going to be in a body that will never cease to exist. It is eternal. And we're going to be in a body, the new resurrection means that as a follower of Jesus Christ, I am going to spend eternity with Jesus. And that is the new resurrection. And that's what distinguishes it from the Gospels to the book of Acts. And that's the new resurrection I want to talk about today. And as we talk about the new resurrection, we understand that it's honestly wider than, and deeper than I could ever, ever understand. I mean, I don't get all of that. And I know that there's this eternal picture to the new resurrection, and I think I get glimpses of that, but I'm not real sure I get all of it, and that's okay. But I really want to know is this. What does the new resurrection mean for me today? What are the implications? What are the what, how, is it, how is it impacting me today? What's the daily power of the new resurrection? And that's what I want to talk about today. The first thing is the daily power of the new resurrection is that it cleans and frees me. Turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 3. Acts chapter 3. In Acts chapter 3, we find this story of Peter healing the crippled beggar in the temple. And, and as Peter is explaining his actions, 
he talks about the power that really did the miracle. And the power that did the miracle was the new resurrection of Jesus Christ. It was done by the power of Jesus Christ, the Holy One. And he, what he'll do is he'll go back and he will grab hold of, he will grab hold of a bunch of Old Testament prophecy and he'll bring it in and he'll say, this is what I'm talking about, all this Old Testament stuff, this is the moment I'm talking about. But then he does something spectacular with this. He takes all that Old Testament stuff and he takes the fact that he healed this man by the power of the resurrected Lord and he says, I want to let you know something. There is a daily life application for you about the new resurrection. Look at verse 19. Now verse 17 he talks about, Now brothers, I know that you've acted in ignorance as your leaders did, but this is how God fulfilled what we had foretold through the prophets, saying that, that this Christ would suffer. And now he goes, watch this. Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. Do you see what happened there? He took this miracle that rested on the shoulders of the new resurrection and he says, I want you to know the power to do that is found in the resurrection, but I want to let you know something. The application for you is to this, is to repent and let God wash, all right? Let God wipe out your sins. And so I looked up that word, wipe out. And here's what it means, erased, obliterate. I didn't even say that right. Holy wipe out. It means this, is that the new resurrection, the new resurrection does this to our lives on a day-to-day -day basis. It erases, it wipes out all the sin that's in our lives. And that's the daily power of the resurrection. But he doesn't end there. Now go to verse 26. In verse 26, he's continuing to speak, and he's talking about the prophet that's raised up, and we know that's coming out of Deuteronomy, and it's talking about Moses, that listen to the prophet that's raised up. And he says this, in verse 26, When God raised up his servant, he sent him first to you to bless you by turning each of you from your wicked ways. And the other word we get there is iniquity. Iniquity. And that word has always puzzled me. I don't know if it's puzzled you, but it's always puzzled me. Iniquity. It's one of those terms that we just sort of go, yes, iniquity. And we act like we know what it means when we really don't. Here's what iniquity means. It's the concept of being a malicious person. It's the concept of a person who delights in evil. But it just doesn't stop there. It's not just that we are malicious and an evil person. Here's what it means also. It reverberates out. And it reverberates out in this way. That because of my wicked ways, my iniquities, it just doesn't impact my personal godliness. What it also impacts, it impacts you. And it impacts you. And it impacts you. And it impacts you. Because here's what happens with our wicked ways, our iniquities. It means is that not only do we have this inside problem, but it means I express that same thing to you. I express malice towards you. I express evil towards you. It is not just sitting inside, but it's also this expression outward. 
iniquities not only impact me, but they impact those around me. And here's the beautiful thing, though. The new resurrection. The new resurrection and the implication of this is this raised up prophet means that I don't have to be that kind of person anymore. The new resurrection means not only do I not have to be a malicious, evil person, but it also means this, I don't have to be that person with you. Isn't that beautiful? It's just not this personal application to me, but it's this application that streams out of my life to say this, I don't have to be a hurtful person. I can be a healing person. Isn't that good? Amen to that, right? I don't have to be that way. And that's what the new resurrection does. Not only does the new resurrection clean and, and, and clean us up, but here's what it is. It is the driving force of our message. We've done this in almost all of the lessons out of this Big Bang series. We talk about how it reverberates, how the New Testament church, the genesis of the New church, Testament church began in Acts chapter 2. It reverberated from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the ends of the earth. And I began to think about that for just a moment. What was the starting point? I know Jerusalem was. I'm not talking about location. I'm talking about what was the starting point that started the reverberation that reached the world? And i got to let you know what it is. It is the new resurrection. Have you ever thrown a big old rock into a big body of water, a pond? Yes, we all have done that, right? You have, you have too. I've seen you. No, I'm just kidding. You have, yes, you throw it in. You throw this big rock in, and you throw it in, and it hits... And soon all these reverberation lines just come out from it. Let me tell you what the rock was in the New Testament church. It's the new resurrection. That's the thing that gets things going. It is the driving force behind the church. Let me prove it to you. The resurrection story, I just, I just followed this. The resurrection story was the catalyst for conversations and conversions, and here we go, X2, X4, X8, X10, and go on and go on. You get it? It just goes through over and over and over again, and it impacts Pentecost and the beggar and Simon and the Ethiopian eunuch and Saul and Cornelius and Lydia and the jailer, and it goes over and over and over again. It is the driving force of the big bang of the New Testament church. It is the new resurrection. It's always been the resurrection. It's always been the resurrection. Have you ever noticed that when Jesus ever got called on the carpet, he got called on the carpet a lot, all right? He got called on the carpet, and they said, Jesus, what I want you to do is this. I want you to prove that you're the Messiah. Give us a sign. Do something to show off your power. And here's what Jesus always said. He always points back to the resurrection. And he does it in verses like this, in Matthew chapter 12 and verse 40. It says, for as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. And in what Jesus is saying in that moment of time, he's going, it's always been, it always will be about the resurrection. Always. It's always going to be about the resurrection. And i got to let you know what that does for me. And I really, really need this. See, here's the thing. 
just like the new resurrection is the driving force of the New Testament church, the new resurrection has to be the driving force of the 21st century church. Amen? And here's what it does for me, and I need this so badly. It simplifies things for me. I don't know about you, but I get lost a lot. I mean, there's all this stuff flying around about what we should do and what we should know and what we should be concerned about. And, and, and it, it's about, well, you need to care about this, you need to do this, and you need to do, and it's just spinning all around me. And, and I'm looking around and I'm going, okay, so what am I going to grab hold of? What am I going to dedicate my life to? What am I going to grab hold of? And I want to let you know what it really is. It's always the new resurrection. It's always about that and nothing else. And there's going to be a lot of good things that are going to call you in your life. And listen, pursue those things. Get after those things. Do the best you can. But i got to let you know our foundation, our rock center is always the new resurrection. It is always, and it simplifies us for that. And it helps us as we even study the Bible. Watch this. Here's what Peter said about Paul's writing to 2 Peter. Hey, some of the things he writes about are really hard to understand. Thank you, Peter. I really needed that. And sometimes it's just hard to understand things in the Bible. I get it. I mean, I really do. But let me just tell you something. As hard as that is, let me tell you how simple it is. It's always about the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. It's always that. That is our driving force. That's the thing that moves us. It gets us up in the morning and it puts us in bed at night. It is the driving force of the New Testament church and nothing else. Our driving force is this. We believe that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. We believe in the power of the resurrection. We believe that Jesus was raised, and so we too must be raised in the waters of baptism. We believe that just because, that because of the resurrection, we are no longer under obligation to live for ourselves, but to live for Christ and others. We believe that because Christ was raised from the dead, we too, one day, with an incorruptible body, will live with Jesus forever. And this is the driving force of our message today. But it's also this. There's a daily implication of the new resurrection. And it goes something like this. It will bring opposition and ridicule from this world. And I know what you're doing is going, wait, Bill, stop it. This is Easter Sunday. Thank you very much. Rah, rah, yay, yay. And it is that, right? It is that, right? I mean, all the things we talked about. But see, my assignment was this. My assignment was to look at the resurrection as it impacted the New Testament church, right? And one of the things that happens in the New Testament church, we don't get three chapters into the New Testament church and all of a sudden they are in the midst of opposition and ridicule because here's what they're saying. There's a new resurrection. Go back to Acts chapter 3 for just a second. Acts chapter 3. I want to prove this to you. In Acts chapter 3, again, Peter heals the crippled beggar. But look at Acts chapter 4 and verse 2. The leaders, the Sadducees, the leaders, here's what they said. 
they were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. Now watch this. You know what that word greatly disturbed means? They were offended. They were offended that the apostles were teaching about the new resurrection. And not only did, were they offended, but the other word it says, they were pained. They were pained that the apostles were teaching about the new resurrection. And this is not the only time. And, and we find in Acts chapter 5, as they conclude that story there, the Sanhedrin gathers together and they say, we gave you strict orders not to teach in this guy's name anymore. And then you go over to Acts chapter 17. And in Acts chapter 17, Paul is in Athens. And he stands up and he talks about the resurrection from the dead. And listen to the opposition that he gets. It says this, When they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some of them sneered. Now that's just a bad word, isn't it? Sneered. But not only is there opposition... But there's also, there is just ridicule. There's ridicule. Paul, as he is on trial before Felix, he talks about the resurrection, and Felix says this to Paul. That's enough for now. Paul, stop. That's enough for now, Paul. You may leave, and when I find it convenient, I'll have you come back in and we'll talk more about this, which I don't think he ever did, that we know of. Or how about this one? As Paul makes his defense before Agrippa and Festus, he speaks out about the resurrection, and Festus interrupts him and says, Paul, your great learning is driving you insane. Paul, it is crazy for you to talk about the new resurrection. What's wrong with you, Paul? I know you're a really intelligent man, you're, you're a scholar, but you are just nuts. You're nuts, Paul. And just as the new resurrection brought opposition and ridicule to the New Testament church, it will do the same for us. And let's not be mistaken about that. And it makes sense, though, that there be opposition and ridicule, right? It just makes sense that there would. Listen to this. Satan doesn't want us to believe that we are, Satan wants us to believe that we are unredeemable. But the new resurrection says, not only are you redeemable, but you're loved also. And Satan wants us to believe that we are bound to repeated failure and the guilt of our sin. But the new resurrection says this, not only are we free, but we could conquer sin in Jesus' name. And Satan wants us to believe that there is no hope for the future, there is no hope for the future, but the new resurrection says this, there is always hope in Jesus Christ. And Satan, more than anything else, wants us to believe that when we die, it is over. But the new resurrection says this, there is eternal life. And so what do we do? 
What do we do when all of a sudden there becomes opposition and there becomes ridicule? Because brothers and sisters, that's just going to happen. It's part of the new resurrection. What do we do? First off is this. We just stand our ground. We stand our ground. And here's what we do. We sink our anchor just a little bit deeper in the fact of the new resurrection. And lovingly and tenderly, but with boldness, we say this. It's all about the new resurrection. It is the game changer. It's the life changer. And we're going to stand by this. Even though there's opposition, even though there's ridicule, we are going to stand by the new resurrection. So I want to conclude today by saying this. (sighs) Let's just be grateful. (laughs) Let's just be grateful, right? Let's be grateful. Let's be grateful for the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Amen. Let's just be grateful. Hey, let's be grateful that as a church, we celebrate every week the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Amen. And let's be grateful that on this day, Even the world celebrates the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Amen? And let's be grateful that this new resurrection will allow us to experience a new birth in Jesus Christ. Let's be grateful. Amen? And let's be grateful for this. Let's be grateful for the resurrection. That someday, someday, these physical bodies will fade away. But we're going to get a new body, an eternal body, and we are going to live with Jesus forever. Amen? So today we say this. Let's repeat it. Thank God for the new resurrection. Let's say it together. Thank God for the new resurrection. Amen.